If you're interested in small business, you're going to want to subscribe to the Small Business Showcase by Kaizentree. We meet with small business owners every week to discuss lessons that you can apply in your own journey. Learn from their failures, successes, and stories to discover how to build a life doing what you love. For those of you who already have a small business, be sure to check out kaizentree.com, an online platform that helps manage your inventory, sales channels, customer relationships, and more. Welcome back to the Kaizen Tree podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you uh, for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Brita, you're especially like you're in a very special guest uh, today mm-hmm. because you're you're doing this uh, while having a very important event tomorrow. Do you do you want to elaborate? Uh, absolutely. Yes, I am. Um, just two days from my due date for my first baby, uh, baby girl is expected on February 25th. So I am just in kind of the the last days of getting ready, and hopefully she'll come when anticipated. <laughs> we'll see. Once again, congratulations, <laughs> and the fact that you're here—it's very <laughs> impressive. Uh, thank you, uh, Rita. To get started, could you tell us a little bit about your company, please? Absolutely. Um, My company is called Britta Ambowen. It's a jewelry business that I started in 2009. Uh, We currently are based in Seattle and we make, um, we hand make everything right here in the room I'm sitting in. Um, Most of our jewelry is in kind of the, um, I would say artisan jewelry category, um, handcrafted with thoughtful stories behind the pieces and we sell predominantly wholesale these days, although uh, the roots of the business were mainly street markets and craft shows and kind of retail facing uh, pop-up events. And so, and so, you, so you just mentioned that you started in 2009, which mm-hmm. is, I think it's an interesting date because so 2008 was a crash. It was a big, yes. big market crash. And jewelry, jewelry is a luxury item, right? Mm-hmm. So what usually after a crash or like a financial crisis, something like this, usually luxury items are the first thing to uh, that people stop buying. So what made you decide less than a year later, basically, to uh, to um, to get into this business? I, I think the the best answer to that question is um, being quite naive. I was um, pretty fresh out of college, was wasn't terribly aware of. Um, how the market fluctuates and sort of just continued on this um, idea I had to start a jewelry business um, without really considering the environment I was starting uh, the business in. But I think it ended up working out a little bit in my favor in that my early days of business were probably especially challenging, but I had nothing to compare them to, to feel like you know, it didn't feel like a dip to me because I was just starting out. And then as my business grew and as I learned more and started to get my feet under me, the, you know, state of the economy improved. And um, I can remember being at shows in my early days and hearing a lot of grumbling from the older or the more experienced vendors who'd been doing shows or selling at markets for longer because, you know, they were experiencing a big dip. But for me, I was having my best shows ever because they were my first shows. So. <laughs> I was young and uh, it worked, it worked out. Okay. So what drew you to this market uh, initially? So I studied fine art in college and after graduating, worked a variety of jobs and 
decided that for at least a period of time, I wanted to just focus on being an artist. So I uh, rented a small studio space and carved out some time to try to just sell um, paintings. And um, I was doing intaglio etching and it turned out to be quite hard to sell fine art. <laughs> and I ended up getting, I had done an apprenticeship at a jewelry store and learned to solder. And I ended up getting part-time work doing production for a couple of other jewelers that I kind of met through the grapevine and just found jewelry a little more marketable. Um, as I was doing production work for other jewelers, I started creating my own pieces and and booking you know, little weekend craft shows um, locally and um, setting up a table and grabbing a few things from around the house to display the jewelry. And uh, it was a very kind of... Um, slow, gradual start rather than kind of doing a big launch. I sort of just started trying it and then eventually found I really enjoyed it and spent a little more time uh, kind of conceptualizing the business. You know, for, for many of the early years, I would balance the jewelry business with other jobs and um, kind of made it a very uh, gradual, organic start. So there wasn't ever like a, a big launch or a, a big investment that I was then stressed about, um, you know, uh, make, making that work. I see. And um, I, well, you're talking about the launch, right? And so I was wondering, because so I was nine years old. That means that mm -hmm. when you started, I was nine years old. So I might be I might be saying something completely out of pocket here, but uh, how could you rely a lot on internet? How how did how oh, did, yeah. how was <laughs> the marketing? How was the marketing like? So when I was starting to want to, I mean, I, I wanted a website from the beginning, but there weren't these lovely user-friendly platforms that we have now, like Shopify, available. Uh, so I remember meeting with kind of sales reps. Some of the platforms were starting to get going. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the names of them, but I ended up hiring just an, a college student to make a website for me with an e-commerce platform and got <laughs> ripped off where he took a bunch of money and never did any work. Um, and so that was a little devastating at the time. And then I ended up using a platform called Big Black Bag, which was kind of a art portfolio platform that wasn't very good for e-commerce, but it allowed me to have some sort of an online presence. And since then I've transitioned to uh, Volusion and I'm currently on Shopify, but, um, but in the early days, like we also didn't have square or an easy way to accept credit cards. So I actually did my first few shows with the carbon paper and a swiper, and then had to, um, like call in the credit card numbers to get paid. And the fees were so high, it was almost not worth it. So, mm. you know, Etsy came out in my first couple of years or I started using it within the first couple of years. And those resources really are, are game changers. <laughs> I feel like. Etsy is more like, a, it's more for hobbies, right? It is. It's more for hobbies. And, you know, starting out, I think that was probably a, a more descriptive uh, term for what I was doing. I was, mm. I wanted to create a business, but it wasn't, um, you know, it started out very, very small and slow. Um and I still have the Etsy shop live because it's just one more place for sales to happen. Um, and it's easy to use. And um, but I do feel like Etsy often seems to function as kind of a 
an entry point for people that are interested in doing perhaps an art-based small business because mm-hmm. they really um, eliminate some of the barriers to entry. Uh, talking about talking about barriers to entry, would you say that it was easier for you? Yeah, easier to 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 get the word out there to to like get recognition before, or is it easier now? Because now you have all the platforms, but you also have all the noise, right? That's a great question. I, I think um, I don't feel you know I've heard from other business owners I've met uh, about having a moment where they had some some post or some product go viral on some level and had a, a quite dramatic boost in uh, recognition or sales kind of in a short period of time. And I've never really had that experience. I feel like the the growth and the development of a customer base for me has been very gradual. And I think. Largely, it came from doing a tremendous amount of street markets and craft shows where I was meeting people in person, creating a connection. I feel like some of those people that I met in my early years uh, at the time I was living in Boulder, Colorado, still buy all their Christmas presents from me. Or um, So I think a lot of my customer base development is quite old school in that regard, where I, I don't think I've ever found a better way to create uh, or to establish retail customers than these in-person interactions. Um, I also, at this point, my business is predominantly wholesale and those relationships have come from either trade shows or um, reaching out to brands directly. And I feel like those very much rely on the rapport with the buyer. um, you, you you keep mentioning the wholesale part, which I think is intriguing because I, I wouldn't expect jewelry to be something that you can wholesale. Uh, yeah. So do you do you have like um, shops around the US or, or around the world that just sell your uh, your jewelry? Yeah, so we have I, I would divide our wholesale business into two kind of categories. One is um, working with kind of larger brands. Um, one of them is Uncommon Goods, which is a, a kind of a catalog and online business. They don't have brick and mortars, but brick and mortars, but they um, they've grown a lot in the last decade. And working with them has been just um, a really important part of my business's growth. The the original buyer uh, from Uncommon Goods that met me at a show in Austin, Texas, uh, was such a supportive um, mentor because she. She invested a lot of time working with me to develop pieces that did really well with their audience. And then another platform that has helped me get into a lot of smaller uh, retail stores, like little single or double location type shops, um, is a platform called Fair. Before I got on Fair, which was maybe four or five years ago, I was meeting with shop owners or establishing a relationship and then using kind of email to take orders or phone calls, or some of them would place orders on my website, but my website didn't function that well. A lot of time went into the administrative labor of um, invoicing and creating shipping labels. And <laughs> um, how do you, how do you go about the process of creating uh, the jewelry and, and even just acquiring the, the, the material and stuff like this, where does it come from? Um, do you have a material that you prefer working with? So I, I do um, acquire most of my metals, which I, I work with mainly sterling silver and 14 karat gold fill and some 14 karat gold. 
um, I acquire most of my metals in the form of wire or sheet or um, chain from a, a, a supplier called Rio Grande based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then I acquire the gemstones I work with from either shows that travel around the country, or I often use Etsy to find sources of um, like gem, gemstone dealers. But starting out, I had the experience of working in a jewelry store, which was kind of my introduction to the basic types of materials that I'm using and the basic techniques. And, you know, I, I would buy kind of small batches of materials, make a small collection, do a craft show or a street market. That was kind of the method that helped me figure out what would sell well, that by the time I even understood what wholesale meant, which took a couple of years. So I had that kind of information to help me create um, kind of a wholesale collection that um, that I was confident would do well once it got into someone's store because I'd sort of tested it rather than taking a guess about what would do well and investing in inventory and no, I'm, I've got so many questions. <laughs> uh, so you've already done one crisis, right? The 2008 crisis. Yeah. How, how has the pandemic affected your business? Yeah, I think a um, couple of ways. Um, I had done a trade show in the year prior to COVID starting and got started selling to a major retailer. Felt like I was having a big break. And then... Um, in June of 2020, we delivered our first big order and there was a, there was an invoice due and they went bankrupt after the invoice was due, but we ended up not getting paid for that um, biggest order I've ever shipped. Oh. And um, they went bankrupt and then we were part of a lawsuit up until uh, just like a month ago or so. And we got um, pennies on the dollar as the kind of payout. So that was a blow. But beyond that, I I was very worried and um, definitely tried to scale down and hunker down, sort of assuming sales would, um, you know, drop, um, mm -hmm. which they did for a while. But while sales were slower for a couple of years, they they didn't cease. And um, and then I feel like with by by two thousand twenty one and things started to recover. Seemed like. Um, but another big change was it definitely marked a transition to doing fewer in-person events and shows, um, which I've started doing more now. But um, after doing a lot of those as kind of a substantial portion of the business um, for a couple of years, I did no shows, uh, which did leave me um, realizing that I don't have a great a great network to acquire new customers online, um, which is an area of, of weakness that I'm wanting to uh, improve. Um, and do you know already um, how you want to tackle the, the, the problem? As I um, step out the door for maternity leave, I have uh, two women covering the business and one of them is taking on social media and she's, you know, she's half my age and much more savvy about um, the kinds of of videos and um, media that is working for kind of uh, 
the newer generation. And so, well, that, that'll be part of what she's focusing on while I'm taking some time away. And mm-hmm. so we'll get a chance to see what sort of response that brings in. Yeah. Over the years I've tried advertising and haven't ever found a way to create a direct correlation between, if, you know, if I spend this on online advertising, I can depend mm-hmm. upon th- these sales. So I, I've never found how to um, achieve that, that correlation. That would be a goal. I would, I would love to figure out. Did, did you ever, did you ever consider um, asking for um, like a marketing firm um, or consultants? Yeah, I did work with a, with a, um, a firm for about two years and just, they were just never able to, to, to create that relationship. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's confusing. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Like we are organically increasing our number of organic online traffic. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure how or why, but it didn't seem to be all that related to the advertising efforts or um, the whole world of online advertising and social media is kind of not an area that I personally love working with or understand all that well. I really want to be making and designing the jewelry. And um, so it's certainly an area for me to delegate and I could, I could do a better job of, of doing that. I, I, I absolutely understand. Cause I absolutely understand. First of all, I have also never been able to find this direct correlation. Uh, Cause if you, if, if you're not saying big things um, that are going to shock a lot of people. And so you're going to attract attention. It's hard yeah. to get the attention and to stand out of uh, the noise. If you don't have a pre-made name, like if you don't have a big name, and you're not saying um, outrageous stuff or doing outrageous stuff yeah. to try to attract attention. It's 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 really hard, and um, I I have this thing as well where so we have a, the the our marketing team. I every time they they propose like a Instagram post or something like this, I'm like mm, no, I don't like it. We have to redo it, and so uh, we'll spend like a month maybe redoing. It. So now the thing is keep me out of the marketing team because I'll yeah. I'll just stop everything. Uh, but yeah, so I understand. I, I understand absolutely yeah. your uh, your point. But but so now you grow you grow back you grew back and and you're bigger than what you were before the pandemic. Um, I wouldn't say that. I I think one of our biggest years of sales was um, I think it was 2018. Uh, that year we just happened to launch a lot of um, items that did really well, mainly with Uncommon Goods, the um, the wholesale partner that has been, uh, you know, such a valuable um, partner. Um, and the business since has been fairly um, stable, which I appreciate, but it hasn't been um, growing in the last couple of years, which may be pandemic related, or it may be kind of, um, just shifts. I'm not, maybe not hustling quite as hard as I did for a lot of years, but, um, you know, having, having a child and starting maternity leave has, is an opportunity to really kind of rethink things and reconsider priorities. And so, you know, I, I would like to strategize to find ways to grow the business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, comes back it's a bit of a cycle really it comes back it goes goes away and then one day you're just going to come up with like maybe a net necklace or an earring and all 
everyone is going to want to uh, to buy it. Um, so you again, you mentioned a lot working with wholesales and and a lot of partners and stuff like this. And for me, doing this podcast, very very often I hear a business say that one of the biggest pains they have or they experience is working with their inventory and the management of their inventory. Um, has this been something uh, that you've had a problem with? Yeah, definitely. I have to link this back to maternity leave again. Um, because it is so difficult to track inventory when you're selling on multiple platforms uh, that don't speak to each other, I generally have managed inventory just by being here all the time and visually seeing what we have and kind of having a sense of that and using that awareness to make decisions about purchasing and you know choosing when to purchase. Um, and that system doesn't transfer well at all to another person. So um, in preparing to step away and trying to support uh, the people covering the business while I'm gone, it would be very helpful to have more of a system to manage inventory and especially to manage the process of choosing when to order raw materials so that we don't have periods of time where we're waiting for materials to deliver, to deliver in order to fill an order. Um, and we don't have a great solution at this point. We sort of tried this fall to come up with the best solution we could and kind of ended up just continuing to do what I do where um, it's, yeah, it's, it's not really a system. It's more of a, of a, of a kind of human trying to remember things type process. So that's, that's another area for uh, improvement. I see. I see. Uh, and with all these ups and downs and with all this like, stress, because if you're managing all of these just through yeah, your head, basically. Yeah. Can you tell us something that has helped you cope with everything? So do you do something? Do you go, I don't know, for a walk? That's that's a bit, I don't know. But do you do something that has helped you throughout this whole like, business years uh, to uh, relax, take a step back? I think one, one thing I've done throughout that has helped is um, just really celebrated the small successes along the way. Just sort of being being willing to be pleased with where I am at that moment um, has helped. Um, another thing I think about is that um, I take care of the business so that it takes care of me. So while I do dedicate a lot of my time and energy and thought to the business, I I am a small business owner with a lot of flexibility. I can take care of myself by rolling out of the studio at, at noon on a Wednesday just because it happens to be sunny and um, kind of giving myself these sorts of time when I prioritize life and happiness and, and enjoyment of, of uh, the day rather than following a particular schedule very rigidly. So um, as I have you know had more, more years under my belt, I feel more and more comfortable um trusting that it, it won't fall apart if I occasionally step away and focus on other things. And and mm. so as you know, maternity leave will be the biggest example of that because I'm I'm planning to take um hopefully months away from the business over the over the course of the 
next year and um, which is intimidating, but I think, um, I think it'll probably help me find even better balance in my life. Nice. I see. Okay. Rita, uh, this leads us to my last and final question. And actually <laughs> with everything that you've said, I think it's pretty, the answer might be pretty obvious, but what is the big next step? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, definitely maternity leave feels like the big next thing happening. I suppose the next thing, you know, is, is the coming back from maternity leave and sort of re-entering the business. I think one big opportunity that maternity leave has provided is uh, this big reason to actually um, step out of the day-to-day uh, functioning of the business entirely for a period of time, which has meant a lot of, um, you know, a lot of work has gone into training other people to be able to do all the little things that in the past I've just mainly had people help with production and I've managed the relationships with our wholesale partners. And I've had certain pieces that I just make that because it's confusing. And, and so for, for this chapter ahead, I've kind of meticulously tried to go through and, and teach and pass off all of those things. Uh, So the hope is that when I return, rather than reclaiming the tasks that I've now passed off, um, hoping, I'm hoping to kind of give myself a new job description and uh, grow the business and how to grow the business or in what direction is um, kind of still something I'm contemplating. Um, It could be focusing attention on trying to move into a new market, which I would love to start working with um, higher end metals and gemstones and moving toward the fine jewelry category as maybe like a a division of the business or um, a product line that we offer. But I'm, I'm hoping to, um, you know, find some, some clarity over having had some time away and come back with fresh eyes. Um, Cause I've, I've kind of been in it for, for quite some time now, Uh, 14 years, I think. Well, congratulations. It seems really, it sounds really exciting. And I, I think most people that listen to the podcast, they, they, they listen because they're interested to be um, to learn about how other people run their businesses. So most of the time they also run their business. Uh, so I think they mm-hmm. will know, but most people in our day-to-day life don't know how hard it is actually to do this, to accept that someone else has to run it now. And it's not just you. So this, th- this is actually a really hard part of, uh, of the, of the business journey. So congratulations to, to you for doing this. Thank you. And uh, and congratulations again on the on the soon to come baby. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Rita, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Showcase. If you liked the episode, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss out on the next one. The discussion continues online. Head over to kaizentree.com/articles to share your thoughts on today's show and to read some of our articles which cover useful topics, such as what to do about Apple's new iOS update. For more from Kaizen Tree, follow our Instagram, at Kaizen Tree, or visit our website, www.kaizentree.com. That's www.kaizentree.com.